Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'm extraordinarily pleased to announce the inaugural episode of Innovation in Compliance, a new podcast which looks at innovations in technology and services in the compliance profession. For this inaugural episode, I have with me Vince Walden, a partner at Ernst & Young. As Vince and his team at Ernst & Young work with uh, GE to come up with what I think is one of the most innovative strategies on several fronts that we're going to explore in this podcast. So Vince, uh, thanks uh, so much for uh, joining me for the inaugural episode. Tom, thank you. Uh, happy to be on. Glad to be here. So Vince, I read your article, Profit and Loss of One, in Fraud Magazine, and it really struck several chords with me. Uh, I was wondering if you could start off by uh, telling the audience what the project was, what were the frustrations that your client had, and how you guys really went about uh, tackling some of those. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, um, You know, one of the frustrations that we see in, amongst compliance officers relates to training. And, and this is what, um, when we talked to Al Rosa, who was uh, the chief compliance officer at GE Corporate, who kind of co-authored this with us, um, expressed an idea, you know, had an idea of this concept around P&L of one, the profit and loss of one, meaning let's make employees accountable uh, for themselves and their activities because it has an, a meaningful impact to companies and their behavior in the field. But what was the challenge was when you go to, for example, a monthly or quarterly training uh, in classroom or webcast on, let's just say, business courtesies or FCPA or what have you, oftentimes the trainings can be more of a check-the-box exercise for the employees of just, yes, we, we know it's important, we have to do it, they'll go through it, they'll take the training, it'll be top of mind for the day. Maybe the next day, but within about a week, they're back to their usual normal business. And, and, and what GE had communicated to us was that, you know, even their, their retention of some of the, the trainings wouldn't stick that long. And how do, we, how do we make compliance more top of mind with the employee? And that, that idea around P&L of one incorporated themes of this digital twin concept of how can we use analytics to better observe observe employees' activities so that we can send them timely and relevant communications throughout the, throughout the year, not just once a quarter or once in a classroom. And by doing so, in kind of increase compliance awareness and change the perception of compliance from being, you know, the enforcement to more of a helper of the business. Um, and the idea was to send communications that were helpful to the end user, the employee, not necessarily were reprimanding. And so that was kind of that theme around P&L of one. So one of the things that struck me in your article, Vince, was the use of a technique or tool called the digital twin. And I'm going to ask you to explain it in a minute, but I would also like to preface it with, I've heard of this concept before in manufacturing or something that's a tangible product. But what I thought was truly innovative about the EY approach was that it used it as or rather in the services context. So could you explain what the digital twin is and how you guys were able to sort of make this leap from uh, using it around product 
product safety, product failure to the same concepts in the services industry of compliance? Yeah, this is where kind of the light bulb went on. Uh, when, when we wanted to look at what targeted communications need to be sent, well, we need to understand what the employee is doing so that we could be relevant. And, and that concept of digital twins, you know, and when you think about it, we define it in the article. I looked to Gartner and, and really studied up on digital twins and how it works in a manufacturing context. You know, and you think about uh, when you have a machine running uh, and you've got sensors all over the machines and you hear about, you know, the Internet of Things and everything's becoming censored, connected to the Internet. Well, the digital twins are basically the virtual simulation of the physical machine or thing working such that when, you know, vibration increases or a, a part goes out or what have you, the digital twin can simulate that in, you know, hundreds of scenarios. Uh, and predict when that part is going to fail, et cetera, and hopefully replace that part in real life before it actually does. And that's that concept of digital twins in the manufacturing process. But what if you could take that same idea, and again, I could say digital twin in this context is synonymous with perhaps user behavioral analytics, but what if we looked at the activities of an employee in the field, the sales force, for example, and look at um, the train, you know, recent trainings that the person has gone through or not gone through, their travel and entertainment expense behavior patterns, their sales data, who are they selling to, who are their top customers, are they government officials, where are they traveling, looking at the travel information, are they, are they visiting with government or uh, state-owned entities, all these different things we could collaborate on and pull together to identify and, you know, using that machine analogy, when I see vibrations happening or things not you know, coming out of the norm, I'm then able to say, all right, this is certain. This is a certain risk profile. Let's send these targeted communications around it. And and we had collaborated with our EY uh, Germany office as well, um, who has been really studying a lot of the anti-fraud and anti-corruption behavioral patterns, and helped us come up with those communications, um, and uh, ultimately resulted in a, in a good a good result of this combination of risk analysis using data analytics such that it would then identify risk buckets who would then craft we would then craft targeted communications for so that's that idea of that digital twin so you've got a great diagram in your article entitled pilot scope and i was wondering if uh, you could walk us through that what went into the analytics and communication strategies simply around business courtesies yeah we wanted to prove the concept um, and, and show that this could work. And so the idea was to take, and this is as you think about for the audience, your own companies, you know, you don't want to do this enterprise-wide right off the bat. That's kind of like boiling the ocean. Um, but take a small sample high-risk group. And in this case, it was a group, a sales force in the Middle East. Um, and I won't get too specific in the details, but um, it was a small population of around 600 employees. Um, and we identified about 34, well, just specifically 34 risk triggers that, you know, around business courtesies that we incorporated into the model. And, and by pulling data from not just one source, and I think this is a big change, not just travel and entertainment expenses, or not just the sales data, or not just the HR training data, it's combining multiple data sources so that we can ask more robust questions of the data so that we can look for kind of simultaneous patterns when you're both 
traveling extensively and you've got high TNE and you have not gone through any HR training or database, you know, in the HR data and this and that, et cetera, all that comes together uh, in an analytics model in your digital twin to give you your risk profiles, which then can help assign what either communications need to be sent or recommend in snippets of training or guidance or policy reminders, et cetera, uh, into that process. So that was the idea of this pilot, such that then we can demonstrate the ROI and the effectiveness and even hear from the employees in terms of how they're perceiving it so that we can then roll it out to other parts of the organization. So you really uh, detail quite a bit in there, uh, particularly like the last part where you talked about employee feedback, because the feedback loop is is really one of the critical things in any best practices, compliance program, project, or even initiative. But I was wondering if you might be able to speak to the types of communications that you uh, were able to uh, deliver, and then to the uh, really innovative uh, framework of um, behavioral insights you were able to bring. You know, I um, when, when you talk about the types of communications, and the article describes it, I have a friend of mine who is a chief marketing officer of a, of a large corporation, um, and, and, and she was the one who reminded me of this concept of AIR, and when she talks about it, she's talking about it in a social media context of how you, you, know, you communicate marketing communications. And I kind of took that idea and thought about it and said, well, how do we make sure that we're timely and relevant and stay connected with the employees? And the article describes this concept of AIR, A-I-R, is just a reminder that we want the communications to be automated. Okay, so that, you know, so that way we can cover a lot, we can leverage technology to cover you know, how are you covering 600, if not 600,000 employees, but it has to be intriguing. So the I, A, you know, A is for automated, I is intriguing. So it has to be, um, it has to be thought provoking or interesting to the end user. And then the R has to be relevant. And when I say relevant, it has to be related to my business. And it also has to be timely as part of that relevance. If I get something two weeks after the fact, well, that's not relevant to me. And so if we think about when you, when with the design of the communications, you need data analytics to make sure that the, what is being sent is intriguing and relevant. Um, the automation is the scripting part, which is fine, but the intriguing and relevant communications is really where you need to put the thought into. And that's where the use of analytics can help us make sure we, we, we risk score appropriately to make sure that those communications are the right communications to that employee. And that's, I think, one of the key factors to making sure that when they, when you put that feedback loop in, we're able to constantly tune it. So you think about machine learning and, you know, is this, when you get a communication, a little question at the bottom, was this, was this communication helpful? Yes or no. And if the employee clicks no, well then the soft, the software will kind of know that or learn that if it clicks yes, that's good because that means you were relevant and you were, you know, intriguing. And let's find, you know, next time we can send more like that. So getting that user input is an important part of this process so that the model can be, you know, the, the, the software can learn from, uh, from the communications and constantly and continuously improve. Because I guarantee a year from now, the communications will still be a lot better than they are now because the software will have learned the patterns and what the employees are finding is intriguing and relevant. You know, you had a great qu quote from uh, Chris Costa 
the uh, EY Global uh, Fraud and in Fraud Investigation and Dispute Services Chief Operating Officer that I really thought embodied that, where he said the most striking argument for the PNL of one approach is the integration of data analytics and the digital twin concepts combined with the human element of compliance, monitoring, and communications. And what uh, I took away from that quote was everything we've talked about in terms of innovation in technology uh, only works if you supplement it or complement it to the human element. And that's what you were able to do with the feedback loop. That's what you were able to do with the information that uh, General Electric was able to provide. And that's what you were able to do with the fine tuning, which continuously updates and upgrades the uh, project or the system to help the employee do business more efficiently. And at the end of the day, I would assume more profitably. Yeah, Chris was great. He was the one who really helped spearhead and make the introductions and, and gave us the opportunity with his relationships with GE to collaborate on this project. And, um, and, and, and his point there was spot on. It's, you can't just do analytics for the sake of analytics. You got to solve a problem at the end of the day to make it worthwhile and to make your business case. Um, you know, you know, when I hear clients say, well, we want to use analytics or we want to, you know, or we want to use digital twins or we want to use, you know, internet of things or machine learning. Well, my question always is to do what, to solve what problem? And, and you got to start with the right business question first. Otherwise, A, you're not going to get funding from the CFO. Um, and B, at the end of the day, if you're just using analytics for the sake of analytics, big deal at the end. If you're not solving a problem that matters to the business, uh, you're not really advancing the ball. And it's so important to make sure that that human element, what problem are we solving? And how do we make sure that, you know, that what we're doing is impactful from a compliance perspective? How are we advancing corporations integrity agenda how are we improving the integrity of the corporation to make compliance and our ethics and policy and even legal requirements in many cases top of mind with employees in the field not just making the sale but doing it right so now uh, vince i'd like to turn to what i think is frankly the most exciting component of this and when i read your article i certainly agree with everything you've said but what i saw was a real opportunity for a true a true breakthrough going into the future and really what this could mean for the future of compliance management. Because what I saw was a tool that you certainly designed for targeted and more effective training, but that's really just the starting point. And the starting point could be something that is not just preventative, which this tool certainly is on the prevent, detect, and remediate scale, but almost proscriptive. So that if a employee comes into a situation where there are anomalies, where there are red flags, where it may be high risk, where it may be a uh, state-owned enterprise subject to the uh, FCPA, where there may be risks that were not immediately apparent, the employee would get that information. The employee could assess the risk and the employee could put in an approved risk mitigation technique, which either GE had previously provided or the tool itself uh, suggested. And so I really saw this as, as a, a tool that could solve multiple problems or at least present multiple solutions. Any thought on where you might see this going forward? Yeah, you know, it's, what's, what's funny, the reason I got excited about this project is that for years, I've been developing, and again, my passion is on anti-fraud, anti-corruption, and compliance-related uh, 
analytics and innovations. And that's, that's what I do. And for years, I've been developing just really cool analytics for the chief compliance officers, heads of internal audits, and general counsels of corporations. And, but for the first time, and it made me think, I never really get out to the employee. All of the dashboards and analytics and you know, cool visualizations that we develop here are for the chief compliance, you know, are for the compliance office. And for the first time, I thought, well, wait a minute, we need to get out of the compliance office and into the field. And and this is what I, you know, I, I originally I wanted to call it compliance 2.0, which means the message is get out of the compliance office and start pushing content out to the field so that because that's the ones who need it. You know, again, we, we give risk assessments and risk scores and we show where where threat, you know, threats might be existing, uh, you know, in the, you know, to the to the compliance, you know, in the compliance and legal functions. But that doesn't necessarily stop the bad behavior unless you go and enforce it. How can we automate getting out in the field? And boy, what what really, you know, what really was the game changer here was that we're now driving analytics that obviously inform the compliance officer or the, you know, the, the, the chief legal officer or head of investigations, et cetera. Um, but it also finds through automation, able we were able to, you know, get that message out into the field on a much more timely and relevant basis. And again, as GE said, you know, this isn't going to replace their training. They're still going to do their classroom and web-based training, but it sure is going to help make sure that compliance and ethics is more top of mind as they consider rolling this out throughout the organization. Um, it's really a game changer that way. And again, I was excited about it because it kind of advances my profession. It takes it from just the compliance officer's office into the field. And that's when I, you know, I, when I think about the next, the next version, or when I think about automation and being able to take concepts like digital twins and the internet of things and interconnectivity and machine learning out into, to enhance the compliance function and advance companies integrity agenda. I'm excited about, you know, pushing that out into the field. And, and like you said, that, that is the big game changer for me. So let me just uh, kind of wrap this up with four concept I've heard four concepts I've heard you talk about which tie directly to what the Department of Justice says constitutes at least a part of a best practices compliance program. First of all in the area of uh, training you have uh, provided tailored training meaning training for a specific employee on what their uh, compliance needs are and effective training because you're providing a uh, immediate feedback from the employee, which you can loop back in to the training to make it uh, effective if, if it wasn't. But beyond that, your your last thoughts, Vince, on moving the data analytics from the compliance office or the corporate office into the field speak directly to the operationalization of compliance. And that has become yeah. a high word from yep. the Department of Justice, uh, operationalization. So uh, really a lot of the things that you have articulated from uh, the fraud perspective and your data analytics perspective are what the Department of Justice would say uh, in different ways. So this ties exactly to what the government says compliance officers need to do in a truly uh, new and innovative way. So kudos. Well, <laughs> well, thanks. And I'll tell you, it's uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of fun uh, collaborating and innovating. I think you know. When I think about companies going through this digital transformation, you hear it in marketing, you hear it in sales, you hear it in operations. There's so many advanced technologies changing and disrupting businesses today um, through automation, robotics process automation, machine learning, et cetera. 
Um, my 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 message to compliance officers and 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 chief legal officers, um, and even internal audit is look. Digital transformation is alive and well in the risk functions of the business as well. It's not just a topic for marketing. It's not just a topic for uh, manufacturing or operations. Uh, there are some great use cases for some of these advanced technologies to improve, um, to improve compliance effectiveness and advance the integrity agenda of your organization. So, um, yeah, and this is just one example. Um, and in fact, if I could, if I can say next month, and again, I, I'm a writer, you know, I write, I've just recently did this and I'm really excited about it. I, I, I do a column in each issue of Fraud Magazine now. Um, and uh, so next, in next month's issue, which come out in March, will be on how we risk score. So, and again, that concept was kind of in, inherent in here as well, but um, we're authoring or co-authoring an article with Anheuser-Busch InBev on how you you can take large, huge amounts of data, transactional, financial accounting data, et cetera, and run it through a rigorous set of risk scoring techniques to identify, and you starting at the transaction level, you know, payment detail that roll up to business units, that roll up to countries, that roll up to your aggregate heat map so that you can, um, you know, you can identify risks globally um, and drill down all the way down to the transaction it needed. And that's fundamental to having that transparency is fundamental to doing techniques like digital twins uh, because you have that transparency into the business that you can identify those red flags much sooner. Well, Vince, I greatly look forward to that article. Uh, perhaps I can get you back for, for another podcast uh, when that one comes out as well. Yeah. Happy to. Happy to. So I've been speaking with Vince Walden. Vince is a partner at Ernst & Young, and we've been talking about an initiative by the EY Fraud Investigation and Dispute Services and General Electric Compliance Department, which uh, they've entitled The Profit and Loss of One. Vince, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Tom. Thank you. If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.